always say, bad times lead to the best times. Believe that. Got the phone call back to Back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports Week 1 in the books. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with Alex Lott, the fantasy phenom. Should we just jump into this, man? There's so much we need to break down. So much fantasy goodness. Man. I feel like... I don't know. I feel like I was at a water park and, you know, like the big bucket that tips all the water out. I was just standing at the bottom all off season, waiting to get hit with this football, this football content, everything that was going on, all the games, all the storylines. And it just hit me, man. That bell went off, that bucket poured out, and I consumed more football than any human being should in one weekend. Uh, my fiance, I think, was a little bit sick of it by the end. Luckily, she's a football fan too. And um, you know, she's a good sport about it, but we're back, you know, we're back and it could not have been better stuff. It could not have been better. I'm glad that there's no Tuesday night game because I need like a, a couple days to detox after the amount of football I've consumed in week one, especially like you just want to see every single play. And then we, I got game pass pulled up running through different players. I'm, I'm excited, man. On Sunday with red zone, with the games going on, it was hard to go to the bathroom because I literally <laughs> didn't want to miss a single snap and man, like. I, I got to give the NFL credit, and Steph, we were talking about this before we jumped in here. It was awesome to see how seamless and normal this felt, you know, with the whole COVID situation. We didn't know yes. what the season was going to look like. If it was to be like this for the whole year, that would be far and away an incredible, massive win for the NFL. So fingers crossed that we can keep some of these protocols in place. I know they've done a tremendous job thus far. Um, we saw it on the field as well, but we're back. We're back. We're back. Guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, you can follow us on Twitter, interact with us there. Just put out some polls this morning, initial reactions during the game, follow along with us. You can always DM us questions if you want to make sure they get answered. That's at Double Move Sport on Twitter. If you like what we're doing here on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. Biggest way to support the show is giving us a sub or a like. And then lastly here, a bunch of you guys hit us up last time. Let's keep it going. Comment your start sit questions, your trade questions, your waiver pickup questions. Put it all down in the comments. We'll try to get to as many of those as we can. But I think we're ready to jump into it. We'll, we'll have some film rooms coming out here in the near future. I've, I've heard rumblings. I've heard murmurs of a Jonathan Taylor film room coming from Alex here in the near future. Would love to see that. And we'll keep it going, guys. We're trying to help you win titles with analytics and game film. Let's jump into this. Let's just go through some of the games from this week, some of the top storylines. And let's start with, I'm repping the shirt right now, the Seattle Seahawks. Russ not only cooked, he cooked a Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> in that game on the road in Atlanta. He was insane in a 38-25 to win. 31 for 35 through the air, 89% completion Crazy. percentage, 35 attempts. Uh, that's a 560 attempt pace for the season. So if this, if all remains constant based off that last game, which I, I don't expect it to, but even if he cooks a little bit, that's that's going to be a major bonus. My fantasy MVP, who I threw out a week before the season started, DK Metcalf, absolutely exploded. Four for eight. Really good game. 95 yards, a touchdown, 19.5 PPR points. Everything we'll be going through today will be PPR. Uh, I feel great about Metcalf. And that upside lies in that improvement. He was four for eight, so 50% completion, or I'm sorry, catch rate. If he can just improve on that, 
and continue to increase his route inventory. He looked great out there. I love Metcalf. Yeah, Steph, what was good to see with DK for me, he had that brutal drop. I don't know if you saw it. And I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't get in his own head. He came back shortly after that with the big touchdown catch. He was out there for 98% of snaps. He and Lockett were essentially on the field the entire game. And um, Russell Wilson looked their way early and often. There's really two options here in Seattle in the passing game. We saw Carson get involved as well. Even a Greg Olson sighting <laughs> for that touchdown. But nice. You know, this is going to be the Metcalf and Lockett show. And we said it before the season. If Russell Wilson opens up and they do let him cook like he did here in week one, both Metcalf and Lockett are going to be top 20 options at the position. They both had great games here. And I know Atlanta's a high volume offense. They're a weaker defense. So this was a great game script for Seattle, but 38 points. If you're doing that, you're going to be able to put up points against just about anybody. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in a tougher matchup. But a great start here for Russell Wilson. You talked about Chris Carson. Pretty interesting how he was utilized through the air. Six for six through the air, 45 yards and two touchdowns as well when the play would break down. I wonder if that's more of a matchup thing. He had six attempts on the ground. Actually got out carried by Carlos Hyde, who had 23 rushing yards and a touchdown of his own. I'm concerned for Carson. Is he a guy that you're trying to sell high, Alex? Ooh, it's tough because I was kind of out on Carson before the season, and six carries is definitely concerning. What I like to see, though, and the two touchdowns isn't going to happen every week, and certainly not through the air, but six receptions for Chris Carson's great. If Russell Wilson's going to throw the ball more, and that means Carson gets, you know, 15 touches that are he more heavily skewed towards receptions instead of 20 touches that are all carries, I'll take that all day. So if he's going to continue to be involved in the receiving game, I'm all about it. I am concerned about the split on the ground. So unless you can flip him for one of the first round tier running backs, maybe someone selling lower on Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, I would take a couple of those guys over Chris Carson. Jonathan can, Taylor? Oh, I would take Jonathan Taylor all day. So if you can get a yeah, name like that, I'm happy that. to do it. If not, I'm probably going to hold Chris Carson, see what he can do. And Steph, the interesting thing for me about Seattle, we've seen Russ Cook before out of necessity when they're trailing in games. They're in these boat race um, type, type of games where he's having to throw the ball a ton. And it was just weird because the Seahawks were leading for the majority of this game and they just kept passing the ball. And what's going to be really interesting to see is if Pete Carroll sees this team passing the ball with so much success, no one's slowing down this offense. I don't know why he would switch up the game plan if it's what's working. So if we see the Seahawks go into another game or two and we get that two or three game sample size of them throwing the ball a ton, Russell with his 35 attempts, and being successful at it, we could start to see that be the precedent for them this entire season. I, I am praying for it for the sake of my DK Metcalf investments for Tyler Lockett. I got him awesome. in some spots as well. I know you do too. Chris Carson on the field for 45% of snaps. Carlos Hyde, 34%. Interesting to see them get out snapped. This is going to be a backfield to keep an eye on. It seems, I'm not sure, maybe it's just like first game back for Chris Carson. Let's ease him in. Maybe that is actually going to be more of a 50-50 time split in terms of utilization on the ground. We'll see. Seattle goes uh, on Sunday night football. They're up against New England in week two. Are you sitting anybody in this matchup? I'm probably not going to. No, I'm not worried about it. And New England had a great performance in week one. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But they've lost a lot of defensive pieces in free agency to opt-outs. So New England defense is definitely good but they're not going to be this lockdown number one defense or at least as dominant of a number one defense if they are up toward the top. So I'm not fading Metcalf, Lockett, or Carson, or Russell Wilson in that matchup. I'm happy to start any of those guys. But Steph, before we move off of this game, I want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons side because I think there's tons yes. to break down on this <laughs> side of the ball. We saw Matt Ryan 
pick up right where he left off. 54 attempts, went 37 to 54, 450 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Steph, I think Matt Ryan is going to lead the league in attempts again, and I think he's probably going to lead the league in passing yards if the defense can't step it up because that's all they can do. They didn't get much going on the ground. Gurley, 14 for 56 and a touchdown. Didn't even play 50% of snaps. So, Steph, a lot of takeaways here. I mean, I think in the receiving core, it's pretty clear. Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are going to be starters every week. They're both fantastic. But it's really the other pieces that we need to talk about on the Atlanta side. Todd Gurley, are you worried about his workload moving forward? I think part of this was game script in this game, but you might end up seeing this game script a lot in Atlanta. Next week, they go up against Dallas. I'll probably still start Gurley in that matchup. Hopefully, you got him at a place where you're not relying on him every single week as your RB1. Hopefully, not RB1. Hopefully, not RB2, and he's a guy that you can flex. I do like him in a high-flying matchup, but... I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, the workhorse we all want him to be. Again, I'm not sure if it's something that's game script dependent. Are they limiting his snaps? Are they easing him in week one? But what I do know is Calvin Ridley looks like he's going to be having the breakout that we all expected if the team's going to continue to throw the ball this much. And how in the world do <laughs> Ridley, Julio, and Russell Gage all go 12 for nine through the air. And then Ridley puts up two touchdowns of his own. So Julio's still not getting those touchdowns. It's like almost just copy and paste everything over from the end of the 2019 Falcons. Everyone's talking (laughs) about guys who saw a lot of targets week one, you know, talk about Paris Campbell. We'll mention some of these names later. Robbie Anderson, Quintess Cephas is coming up in places that he probably shouldn't. Don't make fantasy harder than it needs to be for a weekly flex. Russell Gage, to me, is the perfect player that you want. He's the number three on a high-volume offense that you always know you can start in the right matchup, and one of those matchups is week two against Dallas. So for a guy just to pick him right off the waivers, plug him in in your flex spot, desperation wide receiver two spot, maybe you were a you know, Michael Thomas who now has a high ankle sprain. Maybe you had Mike Evans who looks like he's hurt. Kenny Galladay was out last week. We'll see if he's back. But if you need a spot start at wide receiver, you can do a lot worse than Russell Gage. He's probably out there on your waiver wire. He He'll was a fine. guy. He put up 20 points in this game. So I, I'm all over Gage. And dude, this offense is just going to keep moving. Yeah. Gurley, I'm kind of jumping around here. But two for five through the air, one yard. I do expect that to get a little bit better. It was nice to see him get five targets. So I think it could be something where he's easing into the offense. I'm still willing. I'm not like out on him or at any means. I don't want to overreact to week one. I'm still plugging in Gurley on a weekly basis as that uh, mid to high end RB2. Yeah, Steph, you mentioned the game script, and it's interesting because coming in, we talked about Devontae Freeman last season. His value really came through the air. And in this game, we did see Gurley get the five targets, which is great. Didn't do anything with them. But Brian Hill had two receptions. Ido Smith had three receptions. Gurley only had two. So if we're going to start to see Brian Hill and Ido Smith get work, you know, in the passing game and take some of that away from Gurley, that's definitely concerning for me. Again, they did trail there at the end, so maybe they just wanted to preserve Gurley. They threw out that number 15 to 25 touches a week. This week he was at 16. So if we start to see him on the higher end of that, maybe if he gets a few more carries, gets a couple more catches and does something with them, he's valuable. And he was fine. I mean, in PPR leagues, he got you somewhere around 13, 14 points, which definitely doesn't kill you if he was your RB2. So I think we'll see bigger weeks from Todd Gurley, especially if he gets it going through the air. And I agree with you on the Russell Gage take. I won't belabor that point. I think if you can pick him up off waivers, if you've got an open bench spot, maybe you had to move someone to your IR. Gage is someone you can throw in your flex, you know, five for 50, six for 60. Those are the type of weeks he's going to put up. If he has a breakout week in a huge high volume game like this one or a touchdown, he's going to be a really solid start. And he has a pretty high floor in this offense. 
Last guy I want to talk about, Steph, is Hayden Hurst. You know, a lot of people are thinking, hey, I drafted this guy. He's my tight end. Should I cut him and pick up someone else? I'm going to go ahead and say no. He only had three catches for 38 yards on five targets in this game in a game with a ton of volume. Steph, what's your take on Hayden Hurst? Do you think this was a case of Matt Ryan focusing in on the receivers? It was a Russell Gage game instead of Hayden Hurst. And do you think Jamal Adams actually had a huge impact on shutting down the tight end position? Because I think the Seahawks' pass defense against the tight end was so weak last season, 30th in the NFL, that they brought in Jamal Adams to help cover that position. And I think that was a factor in Hayden Hurst having a quieter day. He was on the field a ton. Yeah, Hurst was on the field for 62 snaps. That was a 78% snap share amongst tight ends. So you feel good about that. He's definitely going to be their tight end one there. I don't know. He's not. I'm, I'm not off on him yet. What we really don't want to do here is overreact to week one, but the volume is going to be there. That's That was the clear thing to see is, like, this is just the same Falcons team that's just going to pass, pass, and then pass some more. I want all the Falcons I can get. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. So Hurst, like, he's not going to be a weekly starter. You can probably look at some streamer guys. Hopefully you got an upside play that we saw perform well in week one, like a Johnny Smith, like a Fant, like a Hawkinson, that you can kind of make the decision between Hurst or one of those guys. Now, I'm not, I'm not off on him yet, but... Definitely wasn't a guy that was pulling the trigger on him at his ADP because I liked all the later options. And if you're in a a 12-team league, honestly, even a 10-team league, if someone drops Hayden Hurst after the week performance, if you have a, a spot on the end of your bench, I think you should pick him up. Yeah. If you see him floating around on the waiver wire, you know, don't plug him into your starting lineup just yet if you have other better options. But I think Hayden Hurst is going to be just fine. And if we see a couple good games from him in a row, that's where I'm saying, okay, it's Hayden Hurst time, let's go. Because he still has a ton of potential. First game in a new offense. Um, I was a little bit higher on him going into the week. You know, fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> Not going to fool me twice. Um, but Steph, you know, let's move on to the next game. A game that was not quite the shootout we saw in Atlanta. This one was the Patriots in the Miami Dolphins. I know you're excited about what we saw out of Cam yes. Newton. It looks like Cam could be back. A little bit of a softer matchup against Miami. He didn't have to do a ton. There was definitely some rust in the offense. Steph, what are your biggest takeaways on the Patriots side of the ball in this game? Low scoring affair, 21 to 11 was the final score. Patriots win. I'm concerned for this Patriots offense as a whole. We'll talk about some of their pieces, but Cam, I mean, all systems go for Cam Newton. Just copy and paste everything over that we've seen from him rushing the ball. He looked fully healthy, had a breakaway, uh, like 20-yard rushing touchdown at one point. Two touchdowns on the ground, 15 carries overall. 15 carries for 75 yards and two touchdowns is what you get out of a good running back that you start. And Cam Newton's putting that up. And then 15 of 19 through the air, 79% completion rate. I think this offense will improve over time, but we saw them stall out. Uh, but I, I, I was taking Cam late in every single draft. I have him in every single one of my leagues, and I plugged him in in week one. Was was very, very excited to see him put up 25 fantasy points. The offense is fully built around Cam Newton. We were seeing him uh, in McDaniels, you know, scheming to allow him to rush the ball. There were read options. They were just straight up like wildcat almost, where just we're just going to check it to Cam, and he's going to run it up the middle uh, in the red zone near the goal line. Julian Edelman, 5 of 7, 57 yards, but was only on the field in three wide receiver sets. That's extremely concerning for me. Hopefully... Only 37 snaps. Oh, man. That, that's just brutal. Like, especially for a guy who is their one just from a production and a... Really, like, Edelman's the best guy on this team. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nikhil Harry. I'm sorry, James White. From Out of all the weapons that 
Cam has, it's still going to be Edelman based off what we saw in week one and what we've seen from his entire career. But if they're not going to utilize him that much, I have some concerns for Cam, which is why, you know, I'm making that um, distinction, like copy everything over from Cam and Carolina. We, we talk about the Kelvin Benjamin years. We've talked at length about the the Devin Funchess years where he just didn't really have that many weapons to throw to. It looks like we're going to see more of the same. I was disappointed by James White. He was three of three through the air, only five rushes on the ground. I was expecting a lot more from him. We'll see if that changes. I don't think this offense will be able to make it and or do anything notable if it's just Cam Newton on the ground, which it was in this game. So maybe that's a matchup thing. Don't want to overreact here. But the fact that they let him take off 15 times is just positive news for Cam Newton. Yeah, for sure. My takeaways are the same. We talked before the season about Cam Newton and we said, you know, his career low in rushing yards is 359. His career low in rushing touchdowns is four. At this stage of his career, if he can even get close to those career lows and even exceed them by a little bit, he's going to give you a huge rushing baseline. This game showed me, Steph, that Cam Newton could be putting up close to his career highs. He could easily put up, you know, six, 700 rushing yards. He could put up double-digit rushing touchdowns. And I don't want to overreact too much to game one. There's going to be weeks where the rushing floor isn't quite there. But as a whole, I think we should expect to see Cam Newton run it a lot. He looked ready to do it. He wanted to do it. He wanted the ball in his hands at all costs. And when they got near the goal line, he was not giving it to Sony Michelle. I think it's going to be the same when Damian Harris comes back. I don't think he's going to want to hand it off to Damian Harris when Cam can do it himself. So I'm with you. I think Cam Newton is going to be the most valuable fantasy football asset uh, in this offense this season. If you Cam Newton's on your waiver wire, pick him up. I have no problem plugging him in every single week. And we mentioned it earlier. They have the matchup against Seattle this coming week. And for me, I, I'm with you. I'm concerned about the offense. But here's here's my big takeaway. I don't want to overreact too much until we see them in a more competitive game because this was an incredibly low-volume game. The Miami offense couldn't do anything. The New England offense didn't seem like they really wanted to push the ball down the field. They were playing incredibly slow. Um, you know, didn't really take any shots, anything like that. So in this game next week against Seattle, I'm interested to see what this offense is going to do. If Cam Newton comes out there and it's like, hey, we're down 10 points in the second half and we got to put up some touchdowns, what is going to happen? Um, so that's what I want to see. I, I'm with you. I think outside of Cam, James White is the guy I want. Only five carries in this game. He did only have the three targets through the air. I think that was a function of this game script, though. It was an incredibly low-volume game from both sides. Sony did fall into the end zone, so if you were in a desperation situation, congratulations. But I don't think he's going to be that relevant going forward either. And for all you Nikhil Harry truthers, I don't know if this is going to be the year that it happens with Cam Newton at quarterback. Um, you know, only 19 pass attempts in this game. So I think there's going to be games this season for Cam Newton and the Patriots where they have to open it up. But with the strong defense they have, with the, the style of play they clearly want to use, the volume is definitely very, very concerning for the Pats. If I have Nikhil Harry right now, I'm holding. He was 5 of 6 through the air, was actually encouraged to see 6 targets, only 39 yards. He almost had that touchdown too, fumbled it through the back of the end zone, but that easily could have turned around his day. So Holt. maybe some flex appeal, but maybe some flex appeal, but I, I just can't see a, a macro breakout like we saw from an A.J. Brown last year or a Devontae Parker. Yeah, I think Harry will be a, a game script dependent flex guy. I, I'm Again, I'm holding him on my bench. Don't plug him in, but just wait to see what – New England looks like against Seattle. Let's talk about the other side of the ball, Miami Miami here real quick. I think the main takeaway is avoid, 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 unless it's Preston Williams or Mike Isicki, Ryan Fitzpatrick, horrible day, 
it's, it's looking like the, the Fitz magic of old. We knew this could potentially happen, and it looks like we got it earlier than we, we probably really wanted to. The thing is, this matchup, Steph, is so tough, and I know Fitz magic had the Patriots number last season, but you know he's going to have his up-and-down games. This is going to be one of the tougher matchups for him this season. Devontae Parker leaves the game at halftime, so I'm, I'm with you. Like Avoid the Dolphins' offense, but when Devontae Parker's back, if he can prove that he's healthy, I might be a little bit interested there. I, I want to see what this Dolphins' offense can do in a week where they're not playing the Pats in this weird low-volume game um, before I jump to too many conclusions, but I'm with you. I, for the most part, I'm avoiding. Zero touchdowns from Fitzmagic, three interceptions. It's just, just brutal. Then on the ground, it was... A nasty timeshare. Matt Burrito was almost irrelevant. He had five carries for 22 yards. Miles Gaskin led the backfield in no. carries with nine, uh, with 40 yards on the ground. Jordan Howard did get in for the touchdown, so shout out to all you in, in the desperation situations. But uh, Jordan Howard was a guy that I was looking at really, really late in drafts as, hey, he could potentially be an RB1 that you're grabbing almost with you know, one of your last picks, but don't plug him in under any circumstance at this point in time. We need to see no. how that backfield is going to shake out. Um, Preston Williams, interesting one. Preston Williams, seven targets. Miami does have Buffalo next week, so I don't expect it to get any easier for the Dolphins. I will say after that, they have the Jaguars. So I don't think you should try to buy low on any of these players because, again, you should be avoiding the Dolphins right now unless you have Devontae Parker on your team like I do, and then you just have to wait out that injury. But if, if they have another really bad game against Buffalo, don't get anything going. If Preston Williams, Devontae Parker... Jordan Howard, I'm not Jordan Howard or Matt Breida, honestly. If those kind of guys end up on the waiver wire after that game, if you have a bench spot that, you know, you you need to pick someone up and there's nobody else nobody else out there that's that's really drawing your attention, especially the receivers, Parker and Williams, I'd love to put on the end of my bench if possible. And in a really deep league, if Breida or Howard end up on the waiver wire, after two tough games to start out the season, I don't mind throwing them on there to see what they can do, but definitely not high upside options for the Dolphins. Let's talk about this Arizona-San Francisco game. Let's start with the uh, San Fran side of the ball. Jarek McKinnon, he's alive. He's back. There so he is. congrats on back everybody. Like he never left. He's back, and congrats to everybody who grabbed him late. You know, I know for in a lot of leagues that, you know, he was probably the last guy that you just picked up through him on the end of your bench. So looks like you're going to get some value from him. We'll see how exactly that shakes out in terms of the snap share where he most incredible game looked explosive as all hell. And he was on the field for 60 percent of snaps. Uh, Jerick McKinnon was out there for 31 percent, but was the primary pass catching option. Tevin Coleman, only 10 percent. So I'm not sure if maybe this is a case of some of the air quality concerns with Tevin Coleman. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Tevin. I think Tevin will step it up next week. Yeah, me too. Me too. Kyle Uzcheck was getting a lot of usage as well. Fifty-eight percent of snaps for him. Uh, Raheem Mostert was just—he he was the takeaway. Keep plugging him in, especially next week. This San Fran team goes up against the Jets, so it should be a fantastic matchup. We saw everybody just going nuts on uh, you know on the Bills when they face the Jets. So I'm going to keep rolling it out there like it's a fantastic matchup. So Raheem Moster had 15 carries for 56 yards. So actually not that efficient on the ground, but he did get an uptick in passing game usage. Five targets, four receptions, 95 yards to the air and a touchdown. One was a uh, 76 breakaway touchdown that Raheem Moster put up. He so. was so fast on that play. He looked so fast. I need to see the next-gen stats to see just how, how high of a speed he got to because he was flying. He was actually number one on the week. Uh, in terms of top speed. There it so is. Raheem Mostert, 
And really, that's what the Jets, or I'm sorry, that's what the, the Niners love to do. They love to just get these speedy backs, the ball out in space, and let them go out and make plays. George Kittle, tough break. Looks like he's going to be dealing with an injury for a while. And I, I put that one on Jimmy G because he just airmailed a basic screen pass to George Kittle, threw it way over his head. Kittle had to go up and get it. And so defenders just coming in, going for his legs on the way down. I, Man, Jimmy G, didn't to, to me, did not look that dialed in in this game, even though he was a good streamer. I, he was my start of the week last week. He might actually end up being my start of the week again just because the matchup is so juicy in New York. But I'm trying to stay away from Kittle in week two. I want to see how he looks uh, with hyperextending his knee. It just it, it it sucks to see at this point. Yeah, Steph, my big takeaway from this game was one, Raheem Mostert looked great. I, I'm really looking for Tevin Coleman next week. He played six snaps in this game, got five touches. So I think Tevin Coleman will have a bigger workload next week. I know the air quality was a big concern for him. I'm not quite on the McKinnon train yet. It was great to see him out there, but from fantasy relevancy, I mean, McKinnon still only played 19 snaps. That was with Tevin Coleman being limited. So I want to see a couple more weeks out of Jarek McKinnon. You know, I'm willing to pick him up off of the waiver wire and stash him on my bench. Not going to throw a lot of fab down on him, but I'm not totally on that train yet. But the big thing is this 49ers offense, I think, really struggled without pass catchers. And Debo is now on IR. He'll be out for at least two more games. Now George Kittle is banged up. Ayuk wasn't out there. It's tough. And who, like, dude, who is this 49? Who is Jimmy G going to throw the ball to? I mean, you've got. I'll tell you. You know, Kendrick <laughs> I'll tell Kendrick you, Kendrick Bourne, Bourne, Jordan Reed. Don't Kyle say Ustrek. Jordan Reed. Yeah, Jordan Reed. I mean, he got two targets in this game. <laughs> and if he's healthy, there's no reason he shouldn't be targeting Jordan Reed next week against the Jets. Might end up being a deep shot. A little foreshadowing. <laughs> I haven't looked at my deep shots of the week yet, but he could sneak in there because someone on this 49ers team has to catch the ball. And I think that really kind of stagnated this offense this week. It was kind of a – it felt like a low-volume sloppy game. Kyler Murray was electric on the other side, but on the 49ers side, outside of the Moster breakaway, they just slogged along for the entire game, and they were not very explosive at all. So it would be nice if they can get Ayuk back soon. Obviously, when Debo and Kittle are back in the lineup as well, that's going to help. But the takeaway for me is next week against the Jets, they might run the ball 40 times. <laughs> they might fire up Raheem Mostert. He might be a start of the week as well. Let's talk about the Cardinals' explosion. DeAndre Hopkins, explosion. welcome to the desert. Holy shit, Hopkins. 29 fantasy points, 16 targets, 14 receptions, 151 yards. And it comes down to this. The analysis is, look, everyone's talking about, oh, receivers, first year, new offense. We all love the Arizona offense. We talk about the pace of play, the emergence of Kyler Murray. The, the the absolute tear they went on to end 2019. Good players are good. And Hopkins is great. Shout out, you know, if you, you picked him up early, kudos to you. Hopefully you plugged him in there. 29 fantasy points again. That's just, that's great to see. Not even a touchdown in this game, which I think he'll have. Kyler Murray, 27 fantasy points, 26 for 40 through the air, a touchdown through the air. And on the ground, 13 attempts for 91 yards and a great. touchdown. So again, just like Cam Newton, we're talking about, hey, this is what you would like from like an RB2 that you plug in there, 13 for 91 and a touchdown. You're getting that with Kyler and then 40 pass attempts with this high pace of play air raid. This is why we had Kyler, Alex, you called it. And so did I. This is where all the hype comes from with Kyler Murray. Fantastic on the ground. The one takeaway for me from this receiver core is Christian Kirk. I don't want to overreact because... Hopkins can't sustain 16 targets a week, but 
Christian Kirk was one of five through the air, limited really as a pure deep threat role. I don't see there being a ton of volume for him. I know we like Kyler Murray, but he's not this like Patrick Mahomes or even like a Fitzmagic air it out type of guy. And Christian Kirk was 10th on the week in average air yards per attempt. Hopkins and Fitz were near the very bottom. So what it sounds like to me is that Fitz and Hopkins are going to eat up everything underneath. Hopkins will play a little bit more of that middle of the field. And Christian Kirk, the only way he's going to make his hay is just a pure burner on the outside. It was great to see, though, Kingsbury getting Hopkins the ball. So I'm all in on Hopkins. I was a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger on Hopkins at his ADP. I'll go ahead and take my L and move on. Don't, again, don't want to overreact to week one, but all systems go for DeAndre Hopkins. Absolutely. If you got Hopkins, congratulations. <laughs> um, don't sell him. Hang on to him. It looks like Kyler's going to be locked into him all season long. And, of course, he can't sustain that pace, but great to see the rapport there early on. And I'm with you. Christian Kirk, big concern for me. I don't think you cut him yet, but you're nowhere near plugging him into a lineup until we see it. I mean, Kyler will connect with Kirk down the field on some big plays this season, but – if he becomes one of those players where you're hoping for a big play to have fantasy relevancy, that's never someone that you want in your starting lineup. They still do have fits there to command a lot of those underneath targets as well. As you mentioned, Dan Arnold even got a couple catches in this game. Kenyon Drake, I mean, tough game, 16 carries for 60 yards, did fall into the end zone for that touchdown against a, a tough 49ers run D. So I think Kenyon Drake is going to bounce back in a big way next week. Great to see him have a solid game against such a good defense in such a tough matchup. But Steph, I got to give credit where credit's due. Chase Edmonds came out in this one, six carries for 26 yards. And he also added three catches for 19 yards and a touchdown on five targets. Saw about 34% of the snaps in this game. So Edmonds, as a high-value handcuff, did have standalone flex value in this game. It'll be interesting to see moving forward if he's able to keep up that value behind Kenyon Drake. Um, but you certainly could do worse. So, Steph, I'm eating my words a little bit on that one. We'll see what he can do here for the next few weeks. Yeah, I love Edmonds. As, like you said, high-value handcuff with standalone value. This is why we talked about in our late running back strategies, I was eyeing guys like Boston Scott, like Zach Moss, like Chase Edmonds. And Moss and Edmonds, for all intents and purposes, were fine. Flex yeah. fill-ins, desperation plays. Edmonds was on the field for 34% of snaps to Drake 71%. So in an offense that runs as many plays as the Cardinals are going to run, you want Chase Edmonds as his breather back, a guy who can also be efficient. They're going to put him in, maybe not near the goal line or on the goal line, but he can break one away for a touchdown, and that's exactly what you want out of Chase Edmonds as an upside filler play. Uh, a lot to take away from this game on both sides of the ball, but, man, Arizona firing on all cylinders. Pretty happy to see that. Yeah, the NFC West is going to be incredibly tough this year. And Steph, I want to move over to the NFC North. We saw the Packers go against the Vikings, and I don't think anyone saw this scoregami coming, 43-34. <laughs> to 34. The first time we have ever had that score in NFL history. Am I saying that correctly, yeah, Steph? Yeah, scoregami. That's awesome. We saw Aaron Rodgers absolutely go off. Quietly on the other side of the ball, Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen had pretty big days, and so did Dalvin Cook. But, Steph, the, the team I want to talk about and the player I want to talk about is the Green Bay Packers. You were all over it, man. And Devontae you Adams. You were all over it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Devontae Adams, 14 receptions on 17 targets for 156 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely unbelievable game for Devontae Adams. I've been talking him up all offseason as the number one wide receiver over Michael Thomas. 
one game into the year, obviously it's looking pretty good. Not going to take too hard of a victory lap quite yet because anything can happen. But Steph, Aaron Rodgers locked into Devontae Adams all game long. Adams was winning all game long underneath on intermediate routes, on deep routes, scored the two touchdowns, had one play on that out, that quick out route near the goal line. When I did my film breakdown of Devontae Adams from last season, he actually had the same exact play. I believe it was also against the Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> wide open, and Rodgers threw it a little bit behind him. And I said there were so many more opportunities for Adams in the red zone that they just were a couple inches off. The timing was a little off. The touchdowns will be there. It was great to see them come out hot converting in this game. A lot of other guys were relevant. MVS, four for 96 in a touchdown. Alan Lazard, four for 63 in a touchdown. Aaron Jones also had a touchdown on the Green Bay side of the ball. And, and Aaron Rodgers looked like the Aaron Rodgers of old. So, Steph, a lot of volume here on the Green Bay side. What stood out the most to you? That rodgers Adam stack, if you had that in, in DFS lineups, you probably won some cash. Uh, and Alex, yeah, he called it on the prop bet. I did not think this was going to be a pass-heavy game for Rodgers. Rodgers ended up putting 30 fantasy points up on the board, fourth on the week with 44 attempts, 72% completion rate, and four touchdowns. So you love to see that from Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure why they ended up going with that passive approach. It could just be a change in the scheme. It could be something that they liked that they saw. I know the... Uh, Vikings secondary is a little bit weak right now. They lost some guys on that defense. So maybe they just liked the matchup there. We'll see if they continue to be as pass heavy. It's kind of a situation like the Seahawks where let's not overreact and just say, okay, now we know that Rodgers is going to throw the ball almost 600 times this year. But you got to be at least encouraged by that as a start two week one. And then the Green Bay run game, again, I'm not sure why they kind of strayed away from it. They were doing all right. Aaron Jones was doing fantastic. And he wasn't even on the field that much. Aaron Jones was only on the field for 54% of snaps. Jamal Williams, 40%. A.J. Dillon, 6%. Some guy named Tyler Irvin was out there for 18% of plays in the Green Bay backfield. So fire up Aaron Jones every single week. Jones also saw six targets through the air. So this is a guy that you just have to plug him every single week. I know, you know everyone kind of overreacted to the regression after 19 touchdowns last year, but still scored a touchdown in this game. I think he's still going to be their go-to guy. So love Aaron Jones, weekly stud, looking like an RB1 as of right now. He faced the lowest snap, uh, lowest stacked box rate amongst running backs this week. So the way that offense is running should open up some nice lanes for Aaron Jones. This offense actually started to look like it did before Matt LaFleur. So I hope it stays this way. And Alan Lazard, man, he was out there a ton. And Rodgers was showing that he trusted him. Alan Lazard was out there for 87% of snaps to MVS's 54%. So Lazard, I think if there's a guy that you're going to pick up from this game. Clear wide receiver too. Yeah, he, he really is. He, he's worth the waiver at, uh, at this point. Steph, quick question on the Packers. So Aaron Rodgers, you know, one big game. We've seen him explode for these games, even in down years. If you picked up someone early in your draft, like a, we'll say Deshaun Watson, would you be willing to, and you grabbed Rodgers late, would you be willing to start Rodgers over Deshaun Watson next week with Rodgers taking on the Detroit Lions who just lost one of their top corners for the season? In that specific scenario, I probably would. Watson has the Ravens. I know, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. So in that scenario, I might, I might just for that upside, it's going to depend on a lot of factors there, how I'm feeling with the matchup for that week. If I need a little bit of extra upside, then I'll throw in Rodgers. I still think 
Watson will be fine. Worst case scenario, we'll see what we saw last week is like, you know, 19 points, something like that. If he explodes, which I don't ex- expect him to against the Ravens, but for whatever reason he does, I think he has just as much upside as Rodgers, but Rodgers is going to have a much easier time in probably what should be a more uh, favorable matchup. So I love Rodgers this week. If you had him, just plug him in again. Um, and it was a guy that you grabbed it late in your draft, probably had him on your bench. So uh, now you saw all the signs, everything you needed to see to say, hey, let me plug him in in week two and another great matchup in the NFC North. Steph, let's flip over to the Vikings side and spend some time on Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, and Adam Thielen specifically. Cousins really had his day saved by that game script, was passing through the end of the game, had a couple late touchdowns to Adam Thielen. I know Thielen's second touchdown felt like garbage time. What are we thinking on this Vikings team? I mean, Thielen, six for 110 and two touchdowns on eight targets. No one else in the Vikings receiving game really made an impact. Justin Jefferson, only two for 26. BC Johnson, only three for 56. You know, outside of the running backs, I mean, Dalvin Cook obviously is is a valid pass catcher. Are you fading everyone not named Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook on the Minnesota Vikings? I am. It's almost a situation like what we – Saul with Green Bay where we said okay the situation's gotten better they have a stud wide receiver one and they're just going to get this funneled volume but we saw Green Bay actually open up and go extremely vertical in their offense whereas the Vikings are actually continuing to be a run heavy team that still has an alpha x wide receiver one we also saw Thielen splitting time in the slot as well so they were moving him all around the formation Justin Jefferson's not ready Irv Smith didn't get enough chances Kyle Rudolph is still out there so I mean, Thielen, for all intents and purposes, could be a top 10 wide receiver this year if all remains constant. He's just going to be the go-to guy through the air. And I think we all kind of knew that. Um, it'll be interesting to see from you know the health perspective, how he holds up. Same thing with Dalvin Cook. A lot could change in this offense between now and, and week 17. So we'll see how it goes. But I mean, I love Thielen, man. He, he's going to get so much funneled volume. He's going to be essentially the entire passing game for Minnesota. Um, which we already projected, but just getting kind of confirmed here in week one. I want to go ahead and move to a game that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> I don't. Um, Why is that? It's the Colts and the Jaguars. Oh, it's the Colts man. and the Jaguars. Oh, I don't man. know what happened. You know, I have the game on next to Red Zone. I'm kind of following along. And I wasn't even watching that intensely the whole time. I was watching, but not intensely because... I was like, oh, we're going to win this game. We led. It felt like we were up or tied or in it for the whole thing. And then right at the end, Minshew just bam, bam, and the Colts lose. And, you know, as frustrating as this game was, as a Colts fan, a lot of fantasy takeaways. I think the big storyline is obvious. Marlon Mack tears his Achilles. He's out for the entire season. And there were so many what-ifs before the year. So many what-ifs of, oh, what if Marlon Mack opts out? Or what if Marlon Mack gets hurt and misses the whole season? What do we do with Jonathan Taylor? Here we are, first half of week one, and it happens. And the answer to that was always Jonathan Taylor's an RB1. Jonathan Taylor's a top 12 back. And I think that proved itself to be true in this game. Just what we saw from Taylor after after Marlon Mack went out. I mean, Taylor barely was on the field in the first half. It looks like they truly were going to work him in. And after that injury, we saw Taylor come in. I mean, wasn't efficient on the ground. Nine carries for 22 yards. That's going to change behind this elite offensive line. But six catches for 67 yards through the air. Steph, how excited are you for Jonathan Taylor? Oh, very excited. I sent out offers for him, I think, at every single one of my leagues. We'll see how many of them get accepted because we're playing with some smart people <laughs> that luck. also know. Yeah, I'm not not trying to sell off my entire roster for Jonathan Taylor, but all systems are go, go for JT. 
Um, shouts out to Marlon Mack, man. Sorry, that that's just brutal to see. Um, never want to take a victory lap for an inj- injury or anything like that. But Mm-mm. I mean, JT, it's the Red Sea is parted, and he's going to take off. And and but behind that elite offensive line that they do have, it was great to see. On top of that, for Jonathan Taylor, which was kind of bizarre to see because we didn't expect this. At least I didn't. Is is seeing six targets to the air. And catching all six mm-hmm. of them for 67 yards. So a ton of receiving game work. Pretty much copy and paste everything Phillip Rivers over from L.A. to the Colts. Which for better or for worse for you, Alex, uh, looks like it's going to be that way this season. On top of that, we'll talk about some of the, you know, we'll talk about Naheem Hines. But just talking about Phillip Rivers here, he also threw the ball eight times to Naheem Hines. Actually threw three targets over to Marlon Mack. So all these running backs, 17 targets to running backs. Insane. That's unreal. That's like a 35% target share that running backs had in this game. So look, Naheem Hines was fantastic. He was getting used in red zone packages in this one, which I was, was pretty excited to see for him. He had seven attempts on the ground, 28 yards. So running at four yards per attempt, he had a touchdown on the ground. And then, like we said, eight for eight with 45 yards and a touchdown through the air as well. So Naheem Hines, Hope you picked him up on waivers. He's going to have value for the whole season. And Steph, we were talking about this before we hopped on live. We really view this as the L.A. Chargers situation from last year. I mean, Phillip Rivers is an indie, and of course it's going to be slightly different. But last year you had Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler both having value, both having a clear role. This year you have JT and Naheem Hines. Both are going to have value in a clear role behind a good offensive line. So we both were kind of in agreement that Jonathan Taylor this year is the Melvin Gordon from the L.A. Chargers last season, but probably some more upside where Naheem Hines is the Austin Eckler from last season. Maybe not quite as much upside, but still a very valuable role. Hines for me is, you know, was a top waiver, you know, priority guy this week. If you got him, you're probably feeling really good right now because he's someone I think you can plug in for the rest of the season in PPR formats as an RB2. I think he should get six to eight carries a game with six to eight targets a game and if he turns that into production maybe he falls into the end zone in a week he's going to give you a high floor with the upside that we saw here in game one so look jonathan taylor obviously has a ton of value but naheem hines is going to carry some good value as well especially with philip rivers you know the narrative of him checking down to the running back all the time that clearly carried over to indianapolis at least through one game so uh, look I i love these these running backs for the colts and through the air Paris Campbell, six for 71 on nine targets. Great to see from Paris Campbell. This is why you watch our mock drafts. This is a guy that we were grabbing late in every single one of our mocks for this very reason. He's a slot guy. We know Rivers loves to target the slot, and we we called it there. You know, I'm not going to take the victory lap again, overreact to week one, not trying to do that, but nine targets. 82% of snaps. He was on the field more than Hilton. Exactly. Exactly. You got to feel good for Paris Campbell here. He's a guy that if you didn't pick him up, if he wasn't at the end of your bench, if he's still available, put some fab on him. I could see him taking over as the one here with T.Y. Hilton. It seems like T.Y. Hilton's going to be more of a pure deep threat, almost like a Mike Williams if we're carrying things over from L.A. No, Whereas pa- I wouldn't go that dude, far. Dude, I not the, the type of looks that Campbell was getting were very, very similar from what we were seeing from Keenan Allen. The short underneath routes, but also could run these moderate, you know, posts corner outs i mean hilton's right there as well i think hilton i think campbell is the prototype of ty hilton i mean a very similar type of player 
Um, and we saw, I mean, we saw them play just about the same amount of snaps. Both got nine targets. Campbell went six for 71. Hilton went four for 53. So Hilton didn't convert on that catch rate as often as Campbell did, but Hilton was drawing better coverage. You know, you don't want to, you know, maybe I could get into the film and see exactly what happened with T.Y. Hilton in this game. I know there were a the couple of targets late that were close to being catches. You know, tight defense didn't come up with them, but I, I like Hilton to bounce back. Um, if anyone's low on Hilton, a lot of people were going into drafts, and then after a single-digit performance in week one, some people might be looking to move him. I'm, I'm happy to pick up T.Y. Hilton and throw him in my flex, and I'm also happy to pick up Paris Campbell off the waiver wire. If your waiver's cleared already and he's still sitting out there, stash him on the end of your bench and see what happens. Um, you know, Michael Pittman was barely involved in this game. I think he could get worked up as we see the season go on, but it's going to be the T.Y. Hilton-Paris Campbell show here in Indianapolis. And if Phillip Rivers keeps having to throw the ball 40, 45 times a game. He threw it 46 in this one. Uh-oh. There's going to be plenty of value for a ton of a ton of pieces on this Colts team. Rivers was dealing, too. I feel like, how many was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different receivers had receptions in this game, and a few more had targets. So It was a bummer. It was a bummer because the Colts came out first drive. Rivers drives them straight down the field for a touchdown, and it's like, okay, Welcome to Indianapolis. It's going to be a fun year. And then it just didn't quite, wasn't quite the same for the rest of the game. So a bit disappointing there. But I like them to bounce back against a softer Minnesota defense. If the Green Bay example is anything, the Colts could have a pretty big game next week. But Steph, let's flip over to the other side of the ball to Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew, 19 for 20, 173 yards and three touchdowns. What do you think about this Jacksonville side of the ball? I mean, we all thought they were tanking, but... I think we're realizing that they're not like they're going to go hard and football, especially pro football is not a game. You really can tank. I know the narratives are fun. We look at Fournette getting cut and all these different things and try to build narratives off that. But this team's trying to win games and Gardner's trying to will his way in it. If Gardner can lead them to enough wins, he knows he can keep his job because they're not going to have. He's playing, truly playing for his job because <laughs> the, the more win, the more games they win, the lower the pick they're going to have. And he's just protecting himself. I mean, he showed what he was, essentially just carried over, if not got a little bit better, against what I thought was going to be a pretty good defense in Indianapolis. He had 20 attempts, completed 19 of them, so extremely efficient through the air for Gardner Minshew. Three touchdowns through the air, no interceptions, and then five rushes for 19 yards on the ground. He did take four sacks, but, I mean, fear the stash, man. Fear the stash, and we saw... Not only Chark getting some usage, but LaVisca Chenault as well. That was a guy as a one of the you know rookies that we could look at in redraft, a guy with a clear path to opportunity in an ambiguous receiving core. It was LaVisca Chenault, saw four targets, caught three of them for 37 yards, and did end up getting a touchdown. He's a guy that I like as a kind of deeper waiver option if you're desperate at wide receiver. And then DJ Chark, kind of a disappointing week from him. He did get the touchdown that saved you. He saw three targets, caught three of them for 25 yards. Just keep rolling Chark out there. They're going to be in these game scripts. I don't think their defense is going to be able to stop anybody. Rivers is just going to Rivers in this one. And so I think it all remains constant. They're still going to be in these, you know, shootouts, probably some garbage time, just like we did see from the Jags last year. But they're not giving up. And one of the big takeaways, James Robinson, only running back to get carries for Jacksonville. So to me, he's, he's a flex running back in desperation RB2. He did see one target and he caught it, actually got 28 yards on that play. So he looked explosive. He looked solid. I have James Robinson in some places, probably going to roll him out uh, in places where I did have guys like Miles Sanders, guys like Leonard Fournette. 
Yeah, Steph, I agree with you. I mean, DJ Chark, the game was saved by the touchdown. A, a very odd low-volume game here, not what we expected from Jacksonville. Only 20 attempts from Gardner, only 173 yards. Um, interesting to see that it was a pretty even split. I mean, no Jacksonville player had more than five targets. Keelan Cole was their target leader, which was which was interesting. And interesting that we didn't see a ton of Chris Thompson. He's a cut candidate for me. Yeah. You know, if they trail and the game scripts are different, maybe he gets relevant again and you pick him back up. But I'm fine to cut Chris Thompson right now until we see his involvement because James Robinson was clearly the guy in this backfield. Um, and if he's still on your waiver wire after they clear, he's definitely someone you want to pick up. But if he wasn't already on rosters before week one, I'm sure he got picked up by somebody in this waiver cycle. But Steph, let's go ahead and backtrack to the Thursday night football game. We haven't had a chance to talk about it too much yet. It's the Chiefs and the Texans. This was awesome to see. We were all waiting for football, and there were a lot of storylines in this one as well. On the Chiefs side of the ball, there's plenty to talk about, but I want to start out on the Texans side, keeping it in the AFC South. To me, the biggest takeaways in this game were David Johnson is good again, confirmed, and Will Fuller... Very nice game. The clear target, number one for Deshaun Watson in this offense. And, you know, Watson struggled a bit in this game, but it looks like David Johnson and Will Fuller might actually be really solid fantasy assets this season. It sucks because right after this, they they go from the Chiefs. Now they're going to play the Ravens. So might be a brutal one. Maybe you can even buy low after week two. David Johnson had 15 fantasy points, 11 attempts, 77 yards, and a touchdown, but looked great. He also went three for four through the air for 32 yards through the air as well. And now Duke Johnson is injured. He's already uh, questionable for week two, and that was on a Thursday night game. So I'm going to guess just by the fact that they've already come out and said Duke Johnson's questionable that he's not going to be out there. So all systems go for a David Johnson field day in terms of the workload. We got Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, now David Johnson all backing, looking spry out there on the field. So the veterans on new teams all looking solid. Uh, I'm plugging in in David Johnson as my RB2. RB2 are my flex. Uh, Hopefully he was a guy that you were able to get, you know, in the third or fourth round of your draft. Probably were able to. uh, Enough guys were fading in with the age and what we saw last season. So David Johnson, man, even against even against Baltimore, I'll plug him in um, because I do think he'll get passing work. Sure. He saw four targets, and we were talking so much about how we'll little. Take that all day. Yeah, we were talking about how little, like the the Texans threw the ball to the running back position the least amongst any team last season. I think they were fourth uh, last year, and then but year before that were dead last. So we didn't expect there to be a ton of volume through the air for David Johnson, but Bill O'Brien is getting his playmakers the ball, so got to respect that and. It was just great to see DJ looking healthy, explosive uh, on his touchdown run. He looked great. It was a 23-yard touchdown run there. So, got to love that for DJ. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Steph, if DJ can get 12 to 15 carries on the ground and get four targets a week, he is right in there as an RB2 for me. And he's going to have upside as well because this is a good offense and they're going to find their way into the end zone a lot. I, I'm Seven all about yards it. per attempt for David Johnson. Seven yards per attempt. Fantastic. And one of the bigger questions about David Johnson, we knew the workload was going to be there, but it was, is he actually good? Is he going to be able to come back from that injury last year? He looked like he had lost a step. And several runs in that Thursday night football game, especially the touchdown run, that was an incredible play. He was making guys miss. I think he made broke two tackles on that play and got into the end zone. He just looked like he had some more juice. So, David Johnson, everyone who drafted him can take a sigh of relief because he does look to be back. Pass catcher-wise, I mean, Will Fuller had the big game. I think as long as he's healthy, you're rolling him out as your flex just about every single week or your wide receiver too. 
Interesting to see Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb struggle. Cooks was a little banged up and was limited only two for 20. Randall Cobb only two for 23. So, you know, disappointing games there. Not interested in Cobb right now until we see something from him. If you drafted Brandon Cooks, you're holding on to him until further notice. I wouldn't sell low just yet. Um, But more to come on the Houston side of the ball. Tough game for them. Who who made this schedule? Because Houston opens up with the Chiefs and the Ravens. (laughs) That doesn't seem fair to me. But, Steph, let's flip over to the Chiefs' side of the ball. Mahomes picked up right where he left off. 24 of 32, 211 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Absolutely had his way in this game. Didn't take a ton of shots deep down the field, but it seemed like he was just casually moving this offense down the field. CEH was absolutely electric on the ground. 25 carries, 138 yards, and a touchdown. Five and a half yards per attempt. Great. Looked incredible on the ground. Two targets, no receptions through the air. But Steph, you know, what are the big takeaways for this Chiefs team? All three of their main passing, you know, receiving options got in the end zone. Watkins, Kelsey, and Hill had one apiece. What do you think of the Chiefs? Is CEH the big takeaway for you? Yes, we already knew what we knew about the Chiefs. Kelsey's Kelsey. Hill is Hill. Mahomes is Mahomes. CEH was the question mark, so I'm with you. That was the big, big sign for me in Kansas City. Five and a half yards per attempt, and there's so much room for growth. We're all going to be talking about Jonathan he Taylor. He easily could have had but 35, 40 fantasy points in this game. He had 25 carries in his first game. I think part of that was, and we saw it early, he looked a little rough out there early on. And that's just what you expect from a rookie in their first game. If they were trying to get some of the rust off of him in week one, because they know they're going to utilize him a ton this season, they definitely did that. 25 carries, 0 for 5 on the goal line. I'm not going to read into that too much, and and like I don't think Andy Reid's one of those guys that's going to say, "Oh, we're not going to we're not going to give Ceh the ball on the goal line because he messed up." I like, choose to read into that as there's opportunity on the table for exactly. him to do more. I'm not going to read into that as oh he's inefficient. They're going to bench him and put Daryl Williams in. He clearly was better than Daryl Williams in all facets of the game. I definitely read into it as this is only scratching the surface for Ceh. Exactly, and same thing. Just like with the goal line touches, we could move the same thing like room for growth for ceh through the air as well zero receptions on two targets i think that'll go up we saw darrell williams get two targets as well so it wasn't like oh we're gonna put darrell williams in there on third down even though he was on third down more often with ceh being kind of a smaller guy he does tend to get pushed around a little bit at the line of scrimmage he gets thrown off balance on those you know swing screens and stuff like that but ceh he's only gonna get better and if they're gonna feed him like this oh my gosh he's gonna be the rb1 the sky's the limit. Good running back and a good offense with good opportunity, and we're going to see a lot out of CEH this season. But, Steph, it was a Sunday night football showdown in week one. Two teams that had a lot of hype going into last season and just missed the mark in terms of playoffs. It was the Dallas Cowboys and Los Angeles Rams. We expected this one to be a shootout. It was not. It was a very weird game yeah. where the Rams put together a couple really nice drives, but they were long drives and ate up a ton of the clock. Um, Steph, you know, we'll start on the Rams side of the ball. We have to talk about that running game, that split between Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown's one of the hot names right now. A lot of people probably picked him up on the waiver wire. What do you think is going to happen in this Rams backfield? Brown had 18 carries for 79 yards and two touchdowns. Akers was 14 carries for 39 yards. Daryl Henderson only three for six. Brown led in receptions as well amongst that group. What are we going to expect going forward? To me, Malcolm Brown clearly looked like the better back in this game. 
Seems like it's going to be a hot hand approach. Malcolm Brown was out there for 60% of snaps. Cam Akers, 33%. And Daryl Henderson was starting to get worked in, but was limited 7% of snaps, only five where he was on the field. It seems for right now, like if you have Malcolm Brown, if you picked him up right before the season started, like we were telling you to, then plug him in in week two. I know the matchup's a little bit scarier with Philadelphia on the road, but I'm still okay to put him in there because as long as he's the hot hand, Akers is still kind of getting worked in. Akers didn't look great i'm not gonna say he looked bad but i mean that run blocking o-line hasn't improved a ton they're gonna have to be gritty uh if they're gonna be able to run the ball and it looks like they still want to run the ball a ton like you said 18 attempts from Malcolm brown 26 fantasy points in ppr keep plugging him in until we see otherwise if he's out there on your waiver wire what you shouldn't do is go out and try to spend 30 40 50 percent of your fab on him because i don't think he's going to be the guy season long if you have cam Akers it's tough for me to tell you to start him against Philadelphia. I think you wait and see what you have. I think eventually he will take over, but he's a little bit of a raw prospect. We knew that coming in with Akers. That's why I was I was more leaning towards the Swift side because he seemed like a more polished prospect. Uh, Akers is going to be running behind a tough O-line, just like he was in college at Florida State. So more of the same for him. Um, if things can open up for him, if he can find a way to make plays, then he's going to take over. But for now, it looks like it's going to be Malcolm Brown. And so pick him up, plug him in right away. But don't go nuts thinking that you're going to have the Rams RB1 for the rest of the season that you're going to pick up off waivers. I would much more go with a guy like Naheem Hines that I blow my fab on than Malcolm Brown. Are you with me on that? I am. I think Hines has locked in full season value. And with Brown, I think upside is there. But I just think there's a lot more question marks right now. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's three obvious scenarios for Malcolm Brown. I think there's a world, actually, I'll give it two scenarios for Malcolm Brown. I think there's a world where he keeps having the hot hand. He has incredible value and he gets deep into the season as a solid guy. You can plug into your running back spot each and every week, but there's another scenario that feels more likely that tells me after a couple of weeks, Cam Akers is going to continue to get more involved. Daryl Henderson. Henderson's going to get healthier and get more involved. Yep. And it's going to be some sort of timeshare where you're not going to, maybe Malcolm Brown is startable uh, as an RB2 reflex, but you're not going to feel necessarily great about it like you might for these first couple of games as those other guys get worked up. So I think Brown is the goal line back. Brown is a weekly flex option. With the volume that he was getting, it was fantastic. But he was pretty much average across all categories in terms of efficiency. He had 13 yards through the air, 4.4 yards per attempt on the ground. But he's getting volume, and like you said, he's the clear goal line back. That's what they were going with. When Henderson and Akers were getting the ball, it was not in the red zone. It was not in these goal line situations. And so for that reason, on this offense that was moving the ball pretty well, they were getting a bunch of guys involved. I know you're pretty excited about Tyler Higby getting a 90% snap share in this game. Keep your eyes on that. Tremendous upside in just that amount of usage and availability being on the field for Tyler Higby. Um, but also good to see more checkdowns on the running back. You know, we talked about how the Rams really steered away from that last year. With Malcolm Brown getting four targets, that's where I think – now, him and Akers and even Henderson could see some value and some volume. So uh, Brown for now, but we'll have to monitor this one, check in on it every single week to see what the snap shares look like, who's productive, who has that hot hand. But I, I think they still want to see what they have in Henderson. So not totally out on him, even though he barely played in this game. Steph, before we move to the, the Dallas side of the ball, let's touch really quickly on these LA Rams pass catchers. There's only three we really care about for fantasy football purposes. It's Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Higby. 
not much to say on Woods. I mean, he was exactly what we expected him to be. High-volume guy, going to be Jared Goff's number one target this year. Six catches, 105 yards, added a carry for 14 yards. He picked up right where he left off. That's like copy and paste the Robert Woods that we all have in our head, and that's exactly what it was. So if you have Woods, you're very, very pleased with that performance. I think he's going to continue that Bobby moving trees. forward. And two other guys here, Cooper Cup. Four catches for 40 yards on five targets. What is your panic meter looking like for Cooper Cup right now on a scale of 1 to 10? 10? What's crazy about the Cooper Cup situation, and my panic is... He played 85% of snaps. Exactly. That was That's the thing. He was on the field actually more than Robert Woods by one snap. But it's not like when we saw the 12 personnel in 2019, don't look at just the box score and say, oh, Cooper Cup's irrelevant because we saw him getting used less. Uh, at the end of last season on the field far less than he would be normally. He was actually on the field a lot. Just the way this game went. I'm not out on Cooper Cup. Don't overreact to week one. It was just a situation where Robert Woods was the open yeah, guy. I'll start him next week. No problem. Exactly. Exactly. Keep keep plugging in Cup. Don't overreact. He didn't get the touchdown in this game. If he had, we'd all be saying, oh, Cooper Cup's back. He's getting all the, the red zone receptions this year. Um, but how are you feeling about Tyler Higby? I want to get a check-in with you on him. He had three receptions. On four targets, 40 yards, is he a guy that you're going to keep plugging in? It looks like Gerald Everett was almost irrelevant in this one. Yeah, I'll keep plugging in Tyler Higby, and this was a tough first game. It was frustrating because, like you said earlier, I mean, 90% snap share in this game, which is what we want for Higby. The question is, is he going to be the first half Tyler Higby where he's splitting snaps, not super utilized, or the second half where he's absolutely going on a tear on the field, super involved? And what McVay is going to do is he's going to game plan for his opponent. And in this game, it was frustrating because Higby was on the field a ton, but he blocked a ton. And it look, and the, if you were watching the broadcast, the announcers kept talking about how the really scary part of this Dallas defense is the pass rush. And we saw that. Jared Goff went down a couple times in this game, um, took one sack, but was pressured a ton. And the Rams game plan in this game was to get the ball out of Jared Goff's hands extremely quickly. And he was getting the ball out of his hands in two, two and a half seconds after the snap consistently in this game to Robert Woods, even a couple to Cooper Cup. A couple of, of Higby's receptions were actually quick like that as well. So it looked like the game plan was let's get the ball out of Goff's hands. Let's beat this pass rush by um, not letting them have time to get to the quarterback. And because of that, Higby spent a lot of time blocking. He did also have a couple plays drawn up for him, which was really good to see. Moving forward, I'm not worried about him. He was on the field a ton. Um, he made the most of his opportunities. I mean, three catches for 40 yards. He looked good in the open field. Jared Goff is going to use the tight end. Gerald Everett's banged up now as well. Lower volume game for Jared Goff, and he didn't have any touchdowns. So moving forward, I'm not panicking about Tyler Higby. If we see a couple more disappointing weeks from him, I, I might start to get concerned. But after one game, I'm rolling him out next week with confidence. And if there's an opportunity to buy low, I might take the time to do it. I can't because I have him in every league. <laughs> but um, if you're in a league where, where people are low on Higby or he's their second tight end or something, I'd shoot him a, a low ball offer and see what you can do. Let's talk about the Dallas side of the ball. We don't need to talk about Zeke. Zeke was Zeke. And he ate. He, the one thing we might need to talk about was that ever. tattoo. That feed me tattoo was a little <laughs> bit questionable. He's really going all in <laughs> this season. What wasn't questionable was Amari Cooper. 14 targets, 10 receptions, 81 yards. Still proved that he's the alpha dog in this offense. He was Dak's first read on pretty much every pass play that we saw. How concerned are you for Michael Gallup? Only five targets, 
only caught three of them. Uh, did lead the lead, lead the team and was near the top in the the week one uh, stat line in terms of yards per reception, just like he was last season, sixteen point seven yards per reception. But actually saw one less target than CD Lamb, who looked good, five receptions for sixty yards. So looks like Gallup, just like we talked about with Christian Kirk, kind of getting pushed towards this pure deep threat role with Cooper being the underneath and moderate yardage guy cd lamb being the underneath guy are you worried for gallup it kind of came down to that there was a no. pi call at the end of the game that would have really saved his stat line um i'm not worried but are you i'm not worried at all steph the snap counts in this game gallup had 96 percent cooper 94 percent cd 82 percent this is going to be value for all three of these guys dallas is going to be high volume offense i mean Dak 25 of 39 266 yards one touchdown so relatively speaking for what we're expecting from Dallas low volume game for Dak Prescott with that being said Amari Cooper if you started him very solid week you're happy with it I started CD Lamb in my flex because I had to I had Golden Tate out in a deeper league five for 59 and we get punt return yards too he had like 11 points I was I was happy with it I was fine with it in the flex Gallup if he converts on that last that you know ghost PI call he has 10 to 12 yeah. points. I don't know what he ends up with, but you're happy with that as well. And that's all three of these guys having a serviceable game in a low-volume game for Dallas. So all three of them are on the field a ton. You look at what happened. Blake Jarwin did go down. I know, Steph, you've really been hyping him up at the offseason. Oh, torn ACL out for season. So a guy who we expected to have somewhere around 80 targets is now out for season. I do think Dalton Schultz as the backup is going to see some sort of volume. He dropped a couple passes in this game. He's clearly not going to be a top option for Dak Prescott, but he's going to get... Don't, don't get cute and try to stream him. Either. No, no, yeah, there's, there's no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. He, what I'm saying is he's going to get volume because they're going to throw to the tight end. It's a function of every offense, but there's going to be volume because they're not throwing to him as much as they were going to throw to Blake Jarwin. So that offense is going to get funneled through Lamb, Cooper, Gallup, we saw a ton of three wide sets in this game, just a ton, and the volume should go up. So if I have Cooper, Lamb, or Gallup, I'm feeling great about starting them each and every week. Um, obviously, Cooper's the guy you want, and I think Gallup is still second and CeeDee Lamb third. Zeke was getting a lot of usage, too. I don't know how sustainable that is. I think they're going to pass a little bit more, especially next week against Atlanta. Could see Dak Cook, just like we saw Russell Wilson did. Should we be concerned for Odell Beckham? He's on the field for 75% of snaps, number one amongst all their receivers. Jarvis Landry was out there for 71%. But a disappointing week for OBJ. Are you out on him? How are you feeling? I know you were a little bit higher on him than I was coming into the year just because I I was the guy like, I'm, I'm taking Jarvis 10 times out of 10. I'm concerned for OBJ. I'm not selling low on him yet. I'm not, 10 I'm not selling low. I'm not confident enough to buy low. But if I have him, I'm keeping him. Um, yeah, 10 targets. It, tough matchup i mean this is baltimore and the browns looked awful baker looked awful he was incredibly inaccurate so i'm not out on obj let's see what he does against cincy on thursday much better matchup against the Bengals. i expect odell to bounce back he's still going to get the volume like you said 10 targets in this game don't freak out worst case scenario he's still in a wide receiver two this year um so don't panic on obj just yet 5.2 fantasy points that that That's really tough. hurt that really hurt for a guy that you probably drafted relatively early just off of name hype. If you got him in your draft, and there's there's usually one person in every draft willing to take that shot on the upside of Odell. 
And if you threw him in there, 5.2 is absolutely brutal. Hopefully you you were able to get value another way, but still good to see him leading the team in air yards and targets, just like we saw last season. Hopefully they can start to convert some of these. I don't know if it's Baker, if it's Odell. Some of these drops were just brutal to see. Apparently Odell's like getting an IV at halftime. I, he's the, the king of coming up with excuses. I hope he can bring it all together. They were against Baltimore. Like, let's not overreact. They were against Baltimore, one of the best defenses, and we're in a losing game script. Nick Chubb was pretty much relegated uh, to the bench with Kareem Hunt just coming in because they were passing so much trying to come back in this game towards the end. So keep holding Odell. Are you going to plug him out there against the Bengals? You said you were? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm. I'm okay. going to say okay. I'm playing Odell against the Bengals. I, you know, I'm much more concerned actually about Nick Chubb um, with Kareem Hunt getting more carries. It's a little bit game script dependent, but uh, you know, this is a throwaway game for Cleveland. I think they're going to come out on Thursday against the Bengals and be a totally different yeah. team. They're throwing this one out the window. I know you mentioned Zach Moss in passing earlier. Is, is that a storyline for you? Josh Allen had a big game, a lot going on on the Jets side of the ball as well. Give me, you know, 15 to 30 seconds on a big story from this game. Yeah, the big story for me was Stephon Diggs looking good, getting a bunch of volume with John Brown also getting a lot of volume and both being fantasy relevant. Now, just like we said, hey, let's throw out the Cleveland game because they were against Baltimore. I may throw out this Bills game just because they were against an awful, an awful looking New York Jets. Like they looked just terrible. They pretty much gave up after halftime from what it looked like on there. Now Le'Veon Bell's hurt. So I'm not going to overreact to that. Um, I'm, I like Zach Moss, but he's a guy that you're, you're kind of grasping at straws if yep. you're plugging him in. If something happens to Singletary, all systems are go for Moss, vice versa. Yep, the good other game way. for Diggs. It was great to see him get some of that volume. We'll be interesting to see if Josh Allen can support both him and John Brown in the future like he did in this game. But next one, Steph, the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the biggest storyline is the score of this game, 27-17 to 17 with Washington winning. <laughs> a lot of concern on the Eagles side of the ball, Steph. What's the biggest storyline for you? For me, the, the things that stand out are – you know, the Peyton Barber, Antonio Gibson split, what's that going to look like moving forward on the Eagles side of the ball? Obviously, Miles Sanders coming back and just a decimated offensive line. What is your big takeaway here? And what are you going to be looking for next week? Talking about the Washington team backfield, J.D. McKissick actually led the way in Snapshare, 44% of snaps, Peyton Barber, 41%, Antonio Gibson, 26%. Gibson did look good. I'm not going to say great, but he did look good. He had uh, he was the most efficient on the ground, four yards per attempt. Peyton Barber had 1.7, and J.D. McKissick had negative yardage on the ground. In the passing game, McKissick looks like he's going to be that three down or that third down satellite back. He had five targets, one reception with that. So, again, not super efficient for McKissick, but looks like he's going to get that volume through the air. Um, in a game that it, this wasn't like a blowout, this was a closer game. They were competitive the entire time. For Antonio Gibson, he saw two targets, caught both of them. It's just something where he's got to compete with two other guys in this backfield. Hopefully he can emerge because he did look the best. He looked the most explosive on the ground. Would love to see him get some goal line work, but it looks like that's all going to go to Peyton Barber in the interim who had two touchdowns in this game. 17 carries, and like I said, 1.7 yards per attempt for Peyton Barber. So he's going to be a thorn in your side just like he was if you had Ronald Jones last season. I think Gibson will get worked up. It's just a function of being a rookie that was taking number two reps through camp until they cut AP. And speaking of AP, let's do the, the Bears and the Lions. I mean, big storylines from this game. One is the comeback. Trubisky, I mean, forcing the Lions to just do Lion Looked things. Um, and <laughs> AP, 14 carries for 93 yards. Shocking to me that they bring him in, and he's the lead back that early on. Swift with the brutal drop there at the end of the game. Kenny G is out, so I don't want to take too much away 
from the passing distribution from Matt Stafford. On the Bears' side of the ball, Montgomery was healthy. Cohen you know, had a Tariq Cohen-type game. Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson were fine. Steph, what's your big takeaway? 15 to 20 seconds on this one. Um, what's your big takeaway <laughs> from this NFC North matchup? Yeah, so the the takeaway for me is that even though Swift, like we're going to build all these narratives and say Matt Patricia this and that, for all intents and purposes, Swift was on the field the most. He wasn't getting the most usage, but he was on the field the most. 44% of snaps wow. to Adrian Peterson's 31%. Carry on Johnson, 26%. So even though Swift, like the box score is not going to be great, he's going to get all this kind of negative um, narratives against him with that drop at the end of the game, assuming Patricia doesn't overreact to that and just take a rookie in his first game. But like, did I put that on Matt Patricia, the fact that that drop even happened? They shouldn't have had a rookie relying on him in the back of the end zone with the game on the line. That's just... I think that's more on him than it is on Swift, even though Swift should have had that, was wide open, hit him in the chest and fell. But I'm still I'm still keeping my eyes on Swift. I'm not going to overreact and just say, oh, he's he's out. He's going to get out snapped by Adrian Peterson. Was sad to see Marvin Jones not have an explosive game, even though he was out there a ton with Kenny G out of the lineup. Looks like uh, a couple other guys. Quintez Cephas got 10 targets. Ignore that. Um, it's not going to happen. Just love to see Kenny Galladay back to see more of what this looks like. And, and TJ Hawkinson. I know he wasn't on the field a ton, only out there for 64% of snaps. Actually saw less targets than Jesse James, but I'm, I'm all in on Hawkinson. I think there's only room for him to improve. Not trying to start an argument here, Steph, but I am going to put that Swift drop on DeAndre Swift. That was absolutely terrible. But let's move on. Vegas Raiders and the Carolina Panthers. Vegas coming out to the East Coast to get a win. Big storylines in this game. Josh Jacobs, I think the bigger storyline than the three touchdowns is the six targets through the air, four for 46. Ruggs, yes. three for 55, and he missed most of this game because he was banged up. I do believe he came back at the end. On the Carolina side, very interesting. Bridgewater, um, 22 of 34, 270 yards and a touchdown. McCaffrey did McCaffrey things. And Robbie Anderson with the breakaway touchdown. So a lot to break down here, Steph. We'll keep it tight. We'll keep it quick here. What do you got from the Raiders and the Panthers? What's your biggest takeaway? I think the biggest takeaway was Robbie Anderson. Eight targets, six receptions, 115 yards, and a touchdown. I'm not going to project that for him every single week, but it looks like he is going to be able to give us – he's going to have a role. He's going to give us some production. Curtis Samuel also saw eight targets, didn't get the touchdown, didn't have as many receptions, wasn't able to get the yards that Robbie Anderson did, but both of these guys I like as deep flyers if you need them. And I'm not sweating DJ Moore at all. I think he'll be back and ready to go. This, I think we were right on the Panthers. We said this was going to be a pass-heavy offense. It was going to be pretty efficient behind Teddy Bridgewater, 34 attempts, uh, 270 yards and a touchdown for Teddy B. So um, looks like everything that we said about the Panthers that we theorized all came to fruition, at least in this first game. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting offense, and Robbie Anderson definitely has some flex appeal. We didn't really know if that was going to be the case going in. Don't overreact, but um, definitely interesting to see him get that workload and definitely convert on that long touchdown. So, Steph, a couple more here. We'll try to roll through these quickly. I know we're going a little bit long today, but it's football time. So I'm, I'm taking my time, man. There's so much yeah, to break down It's football time. Here. I don't like, mind going hard. a little over. I mean, this is what we've been <laughs> waiting for. We might as well hit on every single game. But next up, Chargers and the Bengals. This one was disgusting. Chargers won 16 to 13. The Bengals lost this game in the most Bengal way possible. You texted me that when it happened. But Joe Burrow, 23 of 36, 193 yards, zero touchdowns and a pick. Tough matchup against 
um, the Chargers. And, and in the first game, I mean, that's tough to see. He had a really nice rushing touchdown where he kind of followed and pushed his offensive lineman in front of him to score. Joe Mixon, really tough game. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd didn't do anything special. On the Chargers side of the ball, yikes, Keenan Allen, four for 37 on eight targets. Tyrod Taylor was brutal in this game. Eckler didn't do much, only one reception for three yards. Big, big standout to me is Josh Kelly. He was the number two behind Eckler, 12 for 16, a touchdown, looked really good. Steph, what's your biggest takeaway to me? It is, one, don't panic on Austin Eckler. He's going to be fine. Also, don't panic on Joe Mixon, but Eckler, I know – He's not going to get the passing work he got last season, but he still should get more than one reception and one target. 19 carries is great to see. Also interesting to see Josh Kelly as the next man up in that backfield. Steph, what do you got for me in this one? Yeah, I'm with you on Josh Kelly. If he's out there on waivers, put put some fab on him. He's not going to be a guy that you can you know, expect big things from every single week, but it looks like he's actually going to be the goal line back, which that, that sucks for Austin Eckler. I'm not concerned about Austin Eckler, but I am concerned about his ceiling, especially if he's not going to get, we already knew like Tyrod's not going to throw it a ton to Austin Eckler, but seeing how good Austin Eckler was, you're like, they're going to get him the ball in the, you know, in screens, in check downs, things like that. He didn't really get any of that. So there's some concern. If you have the opportunity to buy low on Austin Eckler, I'd say do it. I would as well, but I'm still concerned about his ceiling. But really, who I'm way more yep. concerned about, I'm so concerned oh. on Keenan Allen, man. Eight targets. Yes. Hunter Henry also had eight targets. Mike Williams had the most with nine targets. Mike Williams looked better. I know he, you know, he had a different opportunity, and he's a different player. Keenan Allen's a great player as well. I mean, his route running is insane. But Mike Williams looked good in this game and I I wouldn't feel great about either of them but from where you drafted them I'd be super concerned if Keenan Allen was you know a top four round pick for me this year I'm very concerned for Keenan Allen I just with the offense that they're going to run with Tyrod Taylor and now we're seeing oh we can get some production from Joshua Kelly it's like why are we not just going to run the ball as much as physically possible and only throw it when we're going to go for these deep shots because we've ran it so much now we can take a play action and throw a 17 yard reception over to Mike Williams so it seems like that's what this offense is going to be not trying to overreact to week one like we said do not like do anything crazy with Austin Eckler if you have him just plug him back in next week I think they're going to be fine um, but Joshua Kelly, interesting waiver pickup. Keenan Allen, I'm concerned. Next one, Steph. And I don't know how we haven't talked about this one yet. The absolute showdown. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady struggled a little bit. Two picks. One of them was a pick six. Did have the rushing touchdown <laughs> on the Buck side of the ball, though. Ronald Jones is another big story. 17 for 66. Not a great yards per carry, but a tough matchup against New yeah. Orleans. Fournette was five carries, five yards. Jones looked good, too. He looked much better than Fournette. He ran hard. He had a 21-yard breakaway run. He also got usage through the air, had um, two catches for 16 yards on three targets. He was lined up in the slot a couple times for those. Not a whole bunch from these receivers. Evans was banged up, saved his day with a touchdown. If you started him, Godwin, six for 79. He was fine. Gronk looked like a two-by-four piece of plywood out there. I hope he gets a little bit more fluid as he ramps up into the season. We'll see. Um, Saints side of the ball, a couple things. Drew Brees, low-volume game, two touchdowns, no picks. Weird no-show from Michael Thomas. He's also banged up. Don't sell Michael Thomas. If you've got him, you got to hold him and hope for better things. Interesting piece on the Saints. Alvin Kamara, 12 carries, 16 yards. Tough matchup, but pretty brutal there. Latavius Murray, 15 carries in this game. Wasn't much more efficient, only 48 yards, but workload there for Latavius Murray as well. Kamara was fantastic through the receiving game. Steph, a lot to break down in this one. For me, the big takeaway is Ronald Jones getting that much work. In week two, I'm looking to see what the split looks like. Fournette was brought on late. 
in training camp in the preseason. So we didn't expect him to have a ton of um, carries or snaps in this game. I'm interested to see if Ronald Jones gets the opportunity he got in this one against a terrible Panthers run D in week two. Yeah, I think Ronald Jones is going to eat. Plug him in this week. I'm starting him in two leagues. Nice. We, we, Fournette, I'm I'm actually, believe it or not, I am concerned. Wait and see. No, I, I am actually concerned. We saw Adrian Peterson come in. Same thing, signed with the team a week before That's game true. day and absolutely dominated. Fournette looked bad. Uh, on top of getting only 13% of snaps, maybe that'll change with this offense. Maybe they just felt good with Rojo, you know, just running him up the middle as much as possible. And New Orleans defense looked pretty stout. Uh, LaShawn McCoy is actually on the field for 36% of snaps. So if that's going to remain a constant, I am extremely concerned. He did have that pass catching role. He did have that pass catching role that, you know, they were talking up um, before the season. So that was definitely interesting to see. LaShawn McCoy. I mean, he's going to have some sort of role, and that that concerns me more for Fournette than Ronald Jones because if this was a two-man split, I think there could be value for both. I don't know if there's going to be room for Fournette to have fantasy value outside of being a handcuff if McCoy and Ronald Jones are going to get this kind of work. Michael Thomas and Mike Evans combined for 19 receiving yards, and it was absolutely Yikes. brutal. That was brutal to see. I'm, I feel like Evans was out there Weird as a decoy. Game. He was out there for a ton of snaps, like 95%, but – he really didn't do much all game. Was kind of starting fights with uh, Marshawn Lattimore. Like, I really do feel like he was out there as a decoy. He probably shouldn't have played. Uh, but you're not gonna, you know, miss this shootout that we expected from the the Breeze Brady uh, battle that we had. So, are you starting Mike Evans next week? Are you gonna wait and just see how the hell sure. works? Well, I want this week going into the game. He probably shouldn't have played. He, he was doubtful. Have. Last minute turnaround to play. I want to see if he practices and if it's a similar, you know, gut feeling that we had last week. Like I would not have played him this week had I owned him in any leagues. If it's the same feeling next week, I'm out. Um, if reports are better, he's practicing. There's more optimism. I'll throw him in there. Um, one, to monitor. one last thing to mention on the Tampa Bay side of the ball. Scotty Miller, slot receiver. He had some preseason hype. If you're in a deep league, PPR, five catches for 73 yards on six targets. Not bad at all. We know Tom Brady loves to use those slot receivers. Keep an eye on Scotty Miller in deeper leagues. He could be worth a waiver wire. Slotty Pick Miller. Steph, two more. <laughs> Slotty. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. Can we patent that? <laughs> Get some T-shirts going. But anyway, let's move on to Monday Night Football game, Steph. Last two to break down here, the Steelers and the Giants. Steelers defense looked dominant in this game. Big Ben's back, 21 of 32, 229 and three touchdowns. James Conner. Poor guy, made a glass, already injured, did not take long. He was my start of the week thinking like, oh, he's going in healthy, and it took a quarter for him to get hurt. Um, really good to see Juju bounce back. Deontay Johnson, 10 targets, super encouraging as well. On the Giants side of the ball, Daniel Jones, a couple bonehead mistakes, plays you wouldn't expect you know, him to make here in year two, but put up a great day from a fantasy perspective. I was in a matchup that came down to Daniel Jones versus Derrick Henry. Wasn't feeling too great. Pulled out the dub, so that nice. felt awesome. Saquon, 15 carries for six <laughs> yards. Out rushed by Big Ben in this one. Um, and the big story through the air for New York was Darius Slayton. Six for 102 and two touchdowns on nine targets. Steph, I'll kick it to you for some takeaways. I'll throw mine in first. I think... Well, I guess two things. One, it's good to see Big Ben back. I think Deontay Johnson is that clear two there. If you spend a mid-round pick on him, that could pay off. On the New York side of the ball, I think Daniel Jones looked good. 
couple tough plays in this one. The Watt interception was incredible. Any quarterback would have thrown that. A guy jumping off the defensive line for a pick. Second one was absolutely terrible, but some of the throws he made down the field looked awesome. Golden Tate coming back is only going to help Daniel Jones. And the matchups, it's tough this week against the Bears, but it's only going to get easier. So Daniel Jones, if he ends up on the waiver wire, I don't mind stashing him for later on in the year. Yeah, Jones looked looked pretty good, making some very tight window throws, throwing to, you know, like you said, with Golden Tate out, like he was throwing to C.J. Board, Caden Smith. Um, good to see Saquon Barkley, Yikes. even on a rough day. He had a great receiving line, nine targets, six receptions, and 60 yards. So kind of saved your week there so you didn't get, a, you know, less than 10 points from Saquon. Darius Slayton, to me, Deontay Johnson as well, but Darius Slayton specifically is, he might be the king of New York now. Nine targets, six receptions, 102 yards, and two touchdowns, 17 yards per reception. So was getting these deep looks, was taking them to the house, was looked at at the 30, 20-yard line. Just, hey, we're going to take a shot here early in this drive, early in this set of downs. It was Darius Slayton as the number one read, and he was able to get open. He's, he's a pure speedster with Sterling Shepard, and Saquon pulling defenders in. I think we're going to see more of the same from Slayton. And with Golden Tate coming back, I think we're going to see things even open up more for Slayton. Maybe not nine targets a week, but I think he's a guy that you roll out every single week now. I'm happy flexing him uh, in my lineups if I have him. I'm fine to put him as a desperation wide receiver too if I'm in a tough spot and I got a running back I can plug in at flex. So Darius Slayton to me, like we we liked him for the upside that he could present. We liked him and Deontay Johnson. They were both these like mid-round league winning wide receivers that you could take a shot on. It looks like both of them, at least in week one, again, don't want to overreact, but they were getting plenty of volume, which is one of the biggest things we want to see early. So love Slayton. Um, he looked good out there. Last game here, Titans and Broncos, late one on Monday. Titans won 16 to 14. Weird game. We saw Derrick Henry run it 31 times for 116 yards. If you drafted Derrick Henry, I think this is a great sign because he signed the contract. We saw what he did last season. You shouldn't have expected anything different. But I I mean, is there a world where barring injury, Derrick Henry doesn't lead the NFL in rushing yards again? Only 3.7 a carry in a tough matchup. Denver's Rundy is pretty solid. Still went over 100 yards, didn't even have a touchdown, put up a solid fantasy performance. Probably not what you were looking for, but got the job done. A.J. Brown, 5 for 39. Corey Davis, 7 catches for 101 yards. Interesting Interesting. there. Big takeaways for me are on the Denver side of the ball. Noah Fant, 5 catches on 6 targets, 81 yards and a touchdown. He looked the part. We've been talking him up as an athletic breakout. Incredibly fast, 40-time, super athlete. It was awesome to see him get involved. Melvin Gordon as well, 15 for 78 and a touchdown. Philip Lindsay is banged up. Melvin Gordon's an auto start. He already was, but I'm smashing Melvin uh, not Gordon so in my fast, lineup every not single so week. Not so fast. He plays Pittsburgh in week two. I am not trying to start oh. an inefficient. Even though Melvin Gordon was 5.2 yards per attempt on the ground, to see Saquon Barkley get shut down the way that he did, I have no confidence in Gordon. Maybe he falls yeah, in for a touchdown. I'm going to pump the brakes on that statement I just made. That's a good call out. I mean, Melvin Gordon, I think – in most leagues, you're still starting him against Pittsburgh, but you're right. I'm not smashing that play <laughs> against Pittsburgh, and I'm looking to see what my other options are, but I'm probably going to end up having to play him. Yeah. But, um, you know, this one, for me, Titans regressed a little bit. The volume was higher. The efficiency was not. And then on the Denver side, it was great to see Noah Fan break out. Noah Fan break out. Drew Locke looked pretty solid. Um, not the best game he's ever played, but no interceptions, threw a touchdown, 
33 attempts. Like that's the volume that you want. That's enough for when Sutton comes back for him and Fant to be the options that we wanted to see. And then Jerry Judy made some rookie mistakes, but saw eight targets and four receptions. I expect that to regress when Sutton is back. AJ Brown, this is what we were saying about why A.J. Brown was so hard to take him at his ADP is because you're going to have games like this. He saw eight targets in this game, which is pretty nice, but only essentially nine fantasy points in PPR. It's just you're going to see these weeks from him in these game scripts where they just couldn't get things going. They weren't able to hit that breakaway play. We kind of saw that as a theme outside of the uh, you know Steelers-Giants game. A lot of these teams were not able to get these big breakaway touchdowns going. Uh, and A.J. Brown was unfortunately one of the recipients of that. Wasn't able to pull off any big plays in this one. So that's kind of part of the game with A.J. Brown. Just keep plugging them in there. Don't worry about it. Um, was nice to see the Broncos being able to move the ball and at least compete. I thought they were going to get crushed by the Titans. Steph, that wraps it up. That is all the games wow. we have hit on every single one. That was a marathon. We went way over time, but I loved it. We're back in season. No problem with that whatsoever. If you've been rocking with us for this full 90 minutes, shout out to you. If you made it through this entire podcast, I want to see it in the comments because <laughs> you deserve a pat on the back. It's been fun. It's good to be back. We're going to bring some starts of the week and deep shots of the week later on if we can, as we normally do. But Steph, what a loaded pod. Excited to see what happens here in week two. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? Just keep your eyes on this. There's so many soft matchups in week two that are the total opposite of what we saw in week one. We have the Saints going up against the Raiders. Cardinals up against Washington. The Bills are up against the Dolphins, 49ers and the Jets, Bucks and the Panthers. A lot of these games are going to have much softer defensive matchups where even if the guy that you really had your eye on um, plugged in in week one didn't perform, this the, sa- the stage is fully set for a lot of bounce backs this week. I'm expecting a lot of those. Thank you all so much for listening and watching. Again, hit us up on Twitter at Sport. Hit that subscribe and like button on YouTube. Comment questions down below. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Keep on Peace. Boy, it was wrong. Boy, it was gone. Noise with the card.